Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today we have Lance Lavosky. Lance is a certified public accountant and cross-border tax specialist based in Florida. Lance works with international clients advising them on real estate transactions, entity formation, income, and estate tax planning for foreign investors. So how are you doing this morning, Lance? I am doing great. How are you, Charles? I'm doing well. And um, it, I mean, we, we uh, met up on bigger pockets, and I know you do a lot of work with international investors, which is especially what our, our audience is interested in. And um, I had a couple questions jumping right in with in regards to uh, various federal tax rules for foreign investors and how that works with U.S. real estate. Right. So at the very beginning, the federal tax rules for foreign investors can get quite complex. There are a multitude of, of rules and laws to be aware of. We have income tax, we have state tax, we have something called BERTA, which is upon the disposition of U.S. real estate and so forth. So when foreign investors are acquiring U.S. real estate, one of the first things they should be aware of is the income tax implications. Mm -hmm. And what kind of entity will they be acquiring it in? Will they be acquiring the real estate in their personal name, in a trust, in an LLC, or in a corporation? And depending on the kind of entity you acquire in, that will also dictate your tax implications. Furthermore, if you're renting out property, then you also have an annual income tax filing obligation. So now we need to keep that in mind. If you're acquiring the real estate in a certain entity, such as, as an example, a single member LLC, then you have to file a separate information return every year, what's called a form 5472. That's not a tax paying form per se, meaning there was no tax obligation, but it's a separate informational return that the IRS wants to see upon, upon the filing with your income tax return. And the other thing we want to keep in mind is the estate tax implications. Even though foreigners are most likely classified under the estate tax system as a non-resident alien, upon their death, their U.S. situs assets, which includes U.S. real estate, may be subject to the U.S. estate tax. So, and there are ways to mitigate that tax. Now, how is U.S. income tax uh, applicable to foreign investors when owning U.S. real estate? So with withholding and how is that all handled? Sure. So for foreign investors, there are two types of tax that may apply on income. One is called FDAP, which is fixed, determinable, annual, or periodic. And that's a flat 30% income tax rate on your gross income. So a foreign investor that is renting out property, by default, they're subject to this FDAP 30% 
tax on gross rents and they cannot deduct any expenses. However, there is an exception and there is an election that I make with all my clients that are foreign investors. And the election is to tax foreign investors of U.S. real estate, make it effectively connected income. And what this means essentially is we are able to deduct all expenses. So typical expenses with a rental property are insurance, property taxes, maintenance, cleaning, repairs, perhaps HOA fees, and, and so forth. We're able to, to deduct all those expenses and the foreign investors tax at the graduated rate system. In other words, the same rates that you, Charles, and myself are subject to as persons living in the U.S. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And what taxes are for foreign investors responsible on upon the sale of U.S. real estate? So not just on the income from cash flow, but once they decide to sell that asset. Right. So upon the sale of U.S. real estate, they may be subject to something called BERTA. BERTA um, was enacted years ago, and it ensures that the government gets their share of the tax upon the sale of the real estate, and they don't have to effectively chase a foreigner down to pay the income tax. Mm -hmm. Now, BERTA does not apply in every case. As an example, if you hold the U.S. real estate in a U.S. LLC, that is a multi-member LLC, which is taxed as a partnership, then BERPTA does not apply. Instead, you have a different kind of withholding tax. It's called Section 1446 withholding tax at the partnership level. But if you're holding the real estate in your personal name or in a revocable grantor trust or in a single member LLC, then you are subject to BERPTA and BERPTA, the withholding is generally 15% of the gross sales price. Okay. All right. Interesting. And how do you decide what entity structure uh, is correct for foreign investors when you develop a plan for them? Um, it's getting an understanding of what the client's goals are is the first thing that we want to, um, we want to establish. You know, when it comes to entity structure, we look at it from both an income tax and an estate tax perspective. So for an example, from an estate tax there, I mentioned earlier, there are ways to mitigate or even eliminate the U.S. estate tax completely. And one such way is to acquire U.S. real estate in a U.S. corporation, but the shares are owned by a foreign corporation and the foreigner owns the shares of the foreign corporation. This is a blocker entity type setup. And this can mitigate the state tax. Another way is to acquire real estate in an irrevocable discretionary foreign trust. But with that comes some downsides. For an example, the grantor of the trust, in other words, the person that is putting all the, the money into the trust to acquire the real estate, he or she cannot personally benefit from any of the annual rents or income. So there are some implications or downsides to keep in mind. Um, you know, so it's just having a conversation with the client, um, 
also getting a, an attorney involved to make sure that the best entity structure is not only tax efficient, but also legally sound and all, all the laws are being fo followed. And also I would say it depends on what state um, they are acquiring the property in because in certain high state income tax states, it may make sense to even acquire the real estate in a, in a C corporation. Interesting. Yeah. What are the tax re uh, withholding requirements for LLCs and partnerships, which I imagine are the most popular for owning real estate in, especially. Right. right. So a multi member LLC or a partnership um, has to withhold taxes quarterly on, on the income. And so th that withholding is done onto the foreign partners. And the way that's done is the partnership either annualizes its income or has to prepare a projection what their income may be. If they know they'll have a sale of one of their assets, then upon the sale, they'll pay that additional quarterly estimated tax payment. But effectively, a partnership, much like U.S. individuals, have to you have to pay in quarterly estimated taxes that are allocable to any foreign partners. So if you have a, an LLC that has, let's say, one domestic partner and one foreign partner, the partnership will have to calculate withholding on just the foreign partner. Oh, oh okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, what's the process for applying for a individual tax identification number, the I-10? So that process, it, it takes a little bit of time. I'll say that it generally can take as much as 12 to 16 weeks, but um, there are ways to actually reduce that time. And we offer a service for that, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the process is you have to complete what's called an IRS form W7. With that form, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a long attached to it. One of which, for an example, is either your original passport or a certified copy by your local government embassy office of your passport. But a lot of times the IRS will not accept that. And so taxpayers are kind of forced to mail in their original passport overseas, which there is a way to also not have to do that as well. I'll talk about that. Along with the W-7, you have to attach um, a, a qualified form. So let's say either an income tax return, which is your 1040NR, or a FERPTA withholding tax return. So a lot of times when, when we're doing ITINs for clients, we will um, we'll do it simultaneously with the FERPTA withholding return, where we're able to attach it and so forth. My firm, we are what is known as a certified acceptance agent with the IRS. What this means is that we're able to certify a taxpayer's passport without them having to mail it to the U.S. So they, they hold on to their passport and this process is streamlined. What we do is we do an interview either via Skype or FaceTime or um, WhatsApp. We do an interview. We make sure the person that we're interviewing is the person in the passport and so forth. We will certify all the documents, we'll prepare the W-7, we'll mail everything to the IRS on the taxpayer's behalf, 
And because we're able to do this so efficiently and because we are a certified acceptance agent, we are generally able to do this in about half the time, half the turnaround time than had the person would have, you know, had done it themselves with the IRS. That's amazing. So they get to hold on to their passport through the whole thing, which is, I know you normally, they have to send it in. I didn't even know that was possible. That's Correct. Cool. It, it is possible. Now with the I-10, when opening up an LLC as a foreigner, the I-10 is what is required to get that. You'll need to have an I-10 to open up that foreign, uh, the, I'm sorry, the domestic U.S. LLC. Is that correct? Or is that not even a requirement? Um, generally, it is. Okay. There are, it, in the past, I've been able to obtain um, what, are called, what are called EINs or employer identification numbers without and I ten um, recently the IRS changed their rules and it appears they are now requiring an I ten, but um, but that's been as recent as this past June. So it's been about a month and a half. Oh, they, when they changed those rules. Um, the other thing I want to say about the I is because it does take some time. Um, you know, it takes at least a month, even if we do it. Um, behalf of the client, if you're, if you know, you will be selling real estate, make sure you start speaking to your CPA at least a month or two in advance. Cause you want to make sure you have sufficient time. And once you are ready to trigger the sale, um, everything is lined up and you're not forced to wait for, for the item or on your CPA and so forth. Now, the process for applying for the EIN, the employer identification number, is that similar for a U.S. Uh, person when they open up an LLC, how they can do that right online, or is that more of an in-depth process for someone that's applying with an ITIN and not a social security number? So if someone is opening a U.S. LLC and they already have an ITIN, it's as simple as doing it online, so it will be just as simple as for you or myself, and that is the ideal way. And we're, we're able to obtain the EIN in just a few minutes. Um, if the person does not have an ITIN, then they need to fill out a paper form. But again, under the new rules, it's not entirely clear if the IRS will process that EIN application. Okay. So with the I-10, it's a pretty quick process. They can do it right online, just like any other U.S. citizen. But, um, I mean, they might not even be able to open it anymore with the I-10, depending on what happens uh, with the IRS, I guess, later on this year, as you were saying. Um, we're, we're both in Florida, so it's not applicable to properties here. But for an investor that's planning to invest into a state that had income tax, I know we touched on it earlier, how right. does that work with withholding? And have you worked with... Uh, with clients that maybe are investing in New York or another state outside of Florida that required income tax or had income tax? Sure. So most states in the U.S., as you know, do have a state income tax. So when clients are owning U.S. assets in states that do, then in that state, they have to file a state income tax return. Um, depending on how they hold the property, if it's an incorporation, it could be a, a corporate return, or if it's a partnership, then it may be um, a partnership or an LLC income tax return. Every state has their own rules about withholding and how the taxes get paid. Some states will require 
you to just like the federal level, but they will require withholding to be done quarterly. Other states may not. Um, but in general, before you decide to acquire properties in a state, make sure you speak to your CPA what the state implications may be, what those state reporting requirements are. Um, you don't want to have you don't want to miss a potential state filing. Yeah. <laughs> no, I imagine not. Um, we spoke about earlier about the estate taxes and um, kind of touched on gift taxes, but with the changes with Trump and um, how did that affect estate and gift taxes? And I imagine they're going to affect uh, as they affect U.S. citizens the same as they would affect foreign investors. Is that correct? Yes, um, they they are affecting everyone. I'll say they're affecting U.S. citizens perhaps more. Not perhaps, they are affecting more. So, for example, under the new laws, U.S. citizens have, an, have a lifetime exemption of $11 million, which is indexed for inflation. So, in 2019, it's $11.4. Um, in 2020, it'll go a little bit higher because it is indexed for inflation. If you are not a U.S. citizen and not a U.S. domiciled individual, then your state tax exemption is only 60 grand. And that amount did not change under Trump's new tax laws or otherwise known as the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to be more proper. Um, so with the U.S. estate tax, it's... As a non-resident alien, your U.S. real estate may be subject to state tax, and it's very easy to have to pay it because your exemption is only sixty thousand. So, what I was discussing at the very beginning is, before acquiring the real estate, you want to make sure you're speaking to your CPA and also your attorney in making sure that the entity planning is done correctly, because there are ways to mitigate the, um, the state tax by using more advanced entity structures and using irrevocable discretionary trust and so forth. There are also ways where you can minimize the cost burden, if you will, the state tax. And what I mean by that is you can also just obtain some life insurance, which can help fund any state tax bill that arises upon the death. What's interesting, though, is that the way the U.S. gift and estate tax system works, otherwise known as our wealth transfer tax system, in the U.S., the gift tax for foreigners or non-resident is subject on all U.S. tangible property, but for the estate tax, it's not. So, in other words, there may be opportunities to plan from a gift tax perspective on on um, reducing your potential estate tax bill. So just without doing all the planning and everybody's situation is different, it's $60,000 just in, so if you have over $60,000, if you didn't do the planning correctly, uh, that's what you're gonna be charged now, estate tax on, if it's being transferred to someone after your death. Is that, that's really, did I get that right? Yeah, so at a very High level, if your your U.S. real estate is two million, you'll pay. It's, it's, let's effectively you'll pay a four percent estate tax on that amount. Sure, there is a sixty thousand dollar exemption, but 
you'll end up paying 40% on your U.S. gross estate. Wow. If, but if you hold the real estate in a corporation, I was saying U.S. gift tax on in, intangible property is not applicable. So perhaps it may make sense to gift shares. Shares are considered intangible property. From a U.S. estate tax perspective, all intangible assets are still taxable. And again, this is speaking strictly for foreigners. Yeah. For Charles, for you and myself, for us, our worldwide assets, regardless of the kind of asset, will be subject to the U.S. estate tax. But we get a much higher exemption. Right. Um, so that's great. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely with that example alone, it shows uh, how much you need to work with the CPA when planning to invest anywhere, but especially as a foreigner in the U.S., what services is your accounting firm able to provide to foreign investors? I know we went through a few with doing the ITIN and some of the estate planning. What are the other normal services that you're applying to your, your, uh, your offering to foreign investors? Sure. So besides the ITIN and the EIN and so forth, um, we can handle all tax compliance services. Uh, that's preparing all required annual income tax returns, whether it's the corporations, the partnerships, the individuals. We can prepare all annual informational returns, such as the 5472, when it is required. Um, we can prepare the FERPTA withholding tax return, or if someone qualifies for an exception to FERPTA, which I know we didn't really get to speak about it before, but there are numerous exceptions to the FERPTA withholding. We can prepare that certificate. Uh, from a tax planning perspective, we work with the client directly in helping them plan and making sure that their U.S. investments are done in the most tax efficient manner possible. And uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, and then I also want to say for a real estate syndicates, you know, we provide the full spectrum of services from accounting, bookkeeping, tax compliance, tax planning, audit as well, um, and so forth. So it's full services from accounting and tax A to Z. What do you suggest the, the best first steps for foreign investors to take before investing in, in the U.S., in U.S. real estate? So someone comes to you brand new. <clears throat> looking to invest in the U.S. from outside the United States? Yes. Yeah, so the first step that they should do, it sounds like they already did it. That's coming to me. And hopefully they're coming to me well before they're going to make their first acquisition because we want to be able to have dialogue and plan in advance. And so one of the first things that generally needs to be done is obtain an item and we'll have a discussion. Is there a triggering event per se that can help the taxpayer obtain their item. We want to discuss what kind of entity do we want to acquire the U.S. real estate. Sometimes it makes more sense to acquire it, um, or let me rephrase that. Sometimes it makes more sense to have a simpler approach um, just because not everyone needs a more uh, complex entity structure. The more complexity there is, generally the more expensive it is. And that's not always necessary. I'm an, I'm an advocate that when possible, let's do it 
the simpler way. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, a foreign investor, it's them coming to me um, and then I'll, you know, I'll be able to speak with their attorney as well. We want to make sure that we plan out their entity, their acquisitions and so forth and get an understanding. What is their intent? Is their intent to acquire a property to rent out annually? Is their intent to acquire a property that they will not rent out and instead it'll be their secondary residence here in the U.S.? Let's say in sunny Miami, for an example, and they'll come and spend here a few months um, of the year. So there, there won't be any income every year. That's where I'm getting at. Or is there intent to acquire a lot of buildings and and warehouses and so forth? So depending on, a, I just give you three examples. Depending on what their intent is, that will dictate their ultimate tax plan. Do you ever have to, obviously, if they have the money to invest in another country, they probably have, you know, CPA in their home country. Do you ever have to contact to work with them at all? Or I imagine there's some go-between there. Yeah. So um, there are times where I am in communication with the clients um, or the taxpayers, home country CPA, but also my firm. Markham, we are a member of what's called the Leading Edge Alliance. And so what that gives us access to are accountants from about, I think it's about 120 countries. Uh, So we have deep resources and we actually have offices in China, Ireland, and um, the Grand Cayman. So not only do we have some international presence, but in countries where we don't have a Markham office, we are a member of this alliance. And, you know, if I need to have, if I need to understand Australian tax laws, it's, it's as easy as picking up the phone and giving them a call. Oh, wow. So how can listeners learn more about uh, you and your firm, Lawrence? Uh, sure. So our website is markhamllp.com. Um, I am also on LinkedIn. So, uh, I believe Charles, you may have that LinkedIn URL. Uh, you can also shoot me an email or give me a call. So my email address is my first name, Lance dot Lobovsky at Markham LLP.com. And feel free to give me a call. I'll give out my phone number. It's a, hopefully this is not a bad idea, <laughs> but it's a, it's 954-320-8077. And so anyone that wants to talk more about what their U.S. tax implications may be, uh, we are always happy to have a chat and see what ways we may be able to help you. Right. And for all global investors, listeners, uh, I'll put all of that in the show notes and it'll be on the podcast show notes and also on the YouTube show notes. So no need to take that all down right now. So, well, Lance, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for being on the show and you provided a ton of value to my listeners. And if we have any questions, what I will do is reach back out to you. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, meeting up with you in the future. Awesome. Thank you. I enjoyed this and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, Lance. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. 
If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.